Heavenly Father, we thank you now to uh, be present here with us. We thank, we're thankful that you are here with us, Lord. And your spirit can quiet our hearts and open us up to this living, breathing word that comes from heaven uh, to enlighten us, Lord, and we, how we need it, especially here First 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, where we're talking about the right attitude about suffering. Lord, it, it's going to make all the difference in the world as we try to live a godly life in the midst of uh, a hostile, unbelieving world. It'll help us to uh, have ears that can hear what your spirit is saying. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So let's say you're watching the evening news, I mean, you and your spouse, and the weather guy comes on, and uh, he says, well, you know, folks, there's going to be unusual early thunderstorms rolling in by morning time. And so you go to bed, and in the morning, sure enough, the clap of thunder and the sound of pouring rain coming down. And your spouse says, what? Rain? Today? Oh, man, I'm not prepared for this gonna ruin everything this is so strange how can this be happening and you're like uh where were you last night you must have been on your phone uh during the forecast that showed the doppler radar there it was a storm coming in and and he said you're in for a messy commute my word, where you weren't paying attention, right? So, yeah, probably not. They probably were doing some scrolling around, or they were distracted for whatever reason, or maybe they just didn't believe it, you know, because sometimes they're wrong, you know, and we think that. Well, sometimes at the last second, something happens, and you know that they're wrong, but for whatever reason, they disregarded the forecast, right? And now they've come a bit undone, the reality of rain, having expected some clear, sunny skies. Unrealistic expectations uh, will set you up for a fall all the time. And that's really the idea that's behind here with 1 Peter, uh, the book that's telling us, you know, uh, every believer is going to face a storm of a different kind, a storm of persecution uh, for our faith. And then these kinds of storms that we go through uh, are the storm warnings, the forecasts, uh, they're frequent in the word of God. And uh, the lips of Jesus, he warned us right from the start about that. And so, yeah, for but for whatever reasons, these particular believers to whom Paul is writing, uh, they didn't take the forecasting to heart. And as a result, they've come all undone because of the painful ordeal uh, there that sent them reeling because I guess they weren't expecting it when they should have been. Uh, verses 12 through 19, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, uh, some translations have dear friends because we don't really say beloved anymore. Uh, but really the word in Greek is one word that means loved by God. And it's super important. And it's strategically put there for a reason. Beloved, do not be surprised at the painful trial, the fiery ordeal that you're suffering. And so something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. A shout out to the second coming there. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, uh, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He rounds out the chapter with this thought here. So if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Wow, I can't believe meddlers in the list there with murderer. Wow. Verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Wear that as a badge of honor, my friend. Praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, 
What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And as Proverbs 11 has it, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what's going to happen to the ungodly who have made themselves the enemy of God, the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will, not always God's will that you suffer, but when you're suffering for God's will, entrust yourself, commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. See, that's the whole point of persecution from the devil's point of view is to get you and me to associate pain with us living the gospel life and sharing the truth that sets men free. And so, yeah, he says, no, no, no. Commit yourself to God and keep on doing what you're doing, what you've been called to do and who you're called to be. Continue on, steady as she goes. Stay the course, my friends. And so with that, those two paragraphs, but... You know, so let me tell you right off the start, then the first paragraph is going to be about uh, really the crux of the message. It's like the iceberg. And there are certain words in there that just need to be focused on and elaborated. So we're going to do that. So that'll be the majority of the uh, sermon. And then we'll take a look at the closing thought, which seems to be a little more complicated, but actually it just doesn't even need explanation. Uh, So it's self-explanatory is what I'm trying to say. So note takers, uh, we are looking at two paragraphs. The first one, if you like to take notes, a call to a biblical attitude about suffering, which is kind of uh, a repeating theme, uh, especially in this uh, section that started at verse one, you'll recall, is 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 attitude adjustment. Your worldview needs to be biblical about what you're going through in your life, so that you can act accordingly with biblical uh, wisdom and not your feelings, right? And the second paragraph, 15 through 19, uh, is really giving motivation to endure well. Just a shout out to the day of reckoning, that day that we stand before God. And in that day, my friend, you will, uh, you will, you will be glad for everything you ever suffered uh, to maintain your Christian integrity and to stay true to God. It will be worth it is what I'm trying to say on that great day. So let's uh, throw those first verses back up there, 12 through 14. And uh, like I said, it's like kind of an iceberg. It's just, uh, you know, it's just one little paragraph. But let me tell you, man, we'll be talking about uh, this idea in there. Remember, you're loved by God. An idea is in there about expect this pushback in the world and see it as an, a badge of honor. Um, the idea of being tested um, by this suffering is in there. And, and the other idea is there's a reason to rejoice, even in the midst of pain, uh, as crazy as that sounds. And then a shout out to the second coming. So you see, we're going to weave through those thoughts that I just shared and then uh, close out with uh, this uh, real kind of inspiring thought, you know, that we're going to be glad that we took the narrow way on that day. So context is always helpful here. Note takers, the painful trial, the fiery ordeal uh, here that that our brothers and sisters in the Lord from the first century in modern day Turkey, though it was happening all throughout the Roman Empire, the heat got turned up. They're really suffering and the Lord tapped uh, the apostle Peter uh, to write them an encouraging letter. And that's what's before us today. And so uh, the good news the uh, Christian faith, the gospel, has taken hold much of the Roman Empire. There are churches all over the place. That is the good news uh, that the message has gone out and lives have been radically transformed. And with the message, there's a God in heaven uh, who loves us, made a way for hopeless, helpless sinners to come back to him, to be reconciled to him, that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. And all you have to do is trust in him. You'll have reconciliation to God's love. You'll have 
forgiveness of all your sins and life everlasting. It's a pretty good deal for sinners to simply have to trust in him who died on our behalf. Now, that's the gospel, right? The good news. Gospel means good news. And, um, but not everybody finds the good news good news. Uh, some of them think it's bad news. So if you want to remain in your sins and run your own life and pretend there's no God, and then, uh, you know, the reminder to your conscience uh, is a most unpleasant thing, about as unpleasant as a cell phone going off in service. Not quite as unpleasant, but it's up there. And so they, they push back in various hurtful ways and varying levels of intensity. We call that persecution from the Greek and Latin to chase. So here in the Calvary chapels of central Turkey, as I've been saying, the heat has turned up fiery. Not like us in the U.S. who are privileged to live in conditions more favorable to the gospel. Uh, like we get mocked, you know, though the heat is turned up a bit uh, these days. We lose some friends. Maybe we get canceled, you know, or unfriended on Facebook or Chick-fil-A has to have uh, protesters protesters. They're just making chicken. And that's all they're doing. They're making chicken. Oh, and by the way, the owners are Christians. And they believe what the Bible says about human sexuality. And that has gotten them in a world of hurt. Uh, right. So, uh, and, and so they push back. We'll teach you to push your ideas on us. And so that's what was happening then. Nero was married to a boy, and the Christians didn't go bringing gifts, and this made him very, very angry, and so he started making life hard for people who didn't accept him as he was. You can love a person but not agree with how they live their lives and every choice that they make. You don't have to stamp it approved. You can still love them and disagree, uh, but that made uh, that makes some people crazy mad, and they push back as it was doing with Nero. So he turned up the heat, and instead of just being mocked, uh, they were losing their freedoms, losing the way to support themselves, and losing their lives. So, yeah, um, so... Peter has to say things like, uh, you know, this this is the way it has been. So he says, uh, number one first is beloved. So the first word, what a beautiful word. He just says, listen, you loved by God. God loves you. Listen up. God loves you. Right before some unpleasant news has to come our way, it's good to remember that God loves us, that He's he's got his eye on us that he's well aware of what's going on and the pain and that he he's with us in it that's all wrapped up in one little word beloved what just and and it's needful to say right before he reminds us of an unpleasant truth that suffering's a part of the christian life because when we're suffering that's the time when we don't feel like God loves us and that we're tempted to believe that he's abandoned us like so many of the Psalms when our feelings come up and they say things like why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression O Lord that's a quote from Psalm 44 in verse 24 and the answer to all of the heartache that we always express to God by saying, God, how can you let this happen to me? Why is the bad guy getting the upper hand here? Where are you in all of this? Uh, did you forget about me? And then his answer through Isaiah chapter 49 is always the same. It's always something like this. Never can a mom forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has given birth to? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. Isaiah 49, 15. Never will I leave you. No, never 
Will I forsake you? So feelings are unreliable counselors and they're terrible at theology uh, because the second they get their toes stepped on, they're like, you know, spiritual amnesia. You forget all about all of the goodness of God and the ways he's gotten you through every past trial and tribulation, you know, and... uh, but that's why we need to, to remember we're loved by God. We're loved by God. The next thing here in your paragraph is an attitude adjustment. He says you're going to need a new attitude because the one you have now stinketh. Uh, <laughs> if we put it in King James, which I like to do sometimes. So he see, he's saying, could you stop acting like you never heard any of this before? And when it happens, it's like, Oh my goodness, what's happening? I'm experiencing conflict because I'm a Christian. It's like, what? Why are you coming apart as if something strange, the word is what foreigner. It's the same word. As if something like this problem you're having now, because people don't like you, the, the, the liberal professor at the JC gave you a D on your essay because she doesn't agree with your biblical worldview. And then you come undone. How can this be happening? This is so unfair. I can't. God, where are you? You know, God has told us. I'm telling you these things that in me, you can have peace in the world. You're going to have tribulation. The word means to be squeezed. They're going to squeeze you. Not because they don't like you, but because they don't like me. Jesus said, look, if they liked me, they would have liked you. Because you talk about me and you're called by my name. But if they didn't like me, they rejected me. They mocked me. They ended up killing me. They're not going to give you a standing ovation, you see. So, yeah, this is, uh, we need to readjust and make room in our understanding that it's not a foreign thing. Foreigner, as I said, meaning it doesn't belong here. It's, it belongs over there, over that border, over there, you see. But <laughs> here comes some bad news that, that Peter has to say. There's a new kind of normal. It actually is normal for you, uh, uh, believer. Uh, part and parcel of your salvation experience of receiving Christ along with the joys unspeakable, living forever, having all your sins wiped out, and having God as your father, that's a pretty good deal. But with that, because of the nature of the world that's fallen and at odds with God, and because your own heart and people's hearts around you are fallen and sinful and at odds with the Holy Spirit, that you yourself are going to have troubles within you and troubles outside. That's just a given. He's like, why are you you acting surprised? Do you remember Adam and Eve in the story and what happened? Do you think we're still in paradise? We're not. We lost paradise because we sinned and every child born to Adam and Eve is born estranged from God. And so we live in this fallen world, not paradise. It's not heaven yet. Heaven's the place with no more trials and tribulations. And so so there's conflict here and it gets messy. So expect it. You know, the two things that drive the world crazy, and it it was true and I already kind of mentioned it, is um, the human sexuality. The, The Bible's very clear. A man, a woman, married. Any sex outside of that one Scenario is called fornication. It, 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 it means it's where we get the word pornography. And it means to sin or to, to be sexually immoral. It's the big umbrella word. And that addresses the God of this world. And the God of this world is we do whatever we want. And you don't tell us who we can identify as or who we can find attractive and who we can marry. And if you dare to tell us that, well, well, first of all, I'm not telling you anything. I've got this book, it's called a Bible, and he's telling us that he has a different plan. And that's the reason we get into trouble. Let me tell you about a strange little incident that happened many, many moons ago in the Stone Age when I was in college. 
It was a joke. <laughs> and so um, I'm sitting, I, I'm at Cabrillo College getting some of my general ed out of the way, going to Bible college at the same time. I'm in the cafeteria. I'm minding my own business, really. Trust me, I really am this time. <laughs> this time, I'm not saying anything to anybody. I'm really interested in the sandwich and the Bible. That's it. And a guy, and he doesn't not look the type. He's wearing like one of those letterman jackets, you know? And it's a good looking kid. He's sitting there, a young man. And he goes, you, Christians, in that Bible. And he pulled back his fist. And I was so surprised that I didn't, I was like bracing for impact. Like, what else can you do? I mean, I just like, it came out of nowhere. And he did, he, he ended up going, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And, and he walked away. But you know what? He's not mad at me. You and that Bible. Because the Bible's sitting there getting me, getting me into all kinds of trouble. It's just broadcasting right there. You need to repent. What do you think you're doing living in sin? You need to, you know, you can't be doing that. There's a God. You know, the Bible is the problem. And that's why so many of your friends and mine are deconstructing now because they got the heat, they got the message. Oh, I, the Bible's causing me a lot of pain. Now all I have to do is change the parts that cause the conflict if I just keep it mostly the same but change, dumb down the, the, the two or three things that drive the world crazy and I just change it a little bit. To change something from what it used to be into something that it isn't means it can't do what it formerly used to do. Did you follow that? <laughs> uh, okay, because if you change the gospel and the gospel saves, it's no longer the gospel and that new gospel is not the gospel and it cannot save. That's what I'm trying to say and I think that I've confused you more than when you first got here. I'm moving on here. Yeah, so, so that's the problem. You have to expect it. In fact, what did Paul tell Timothy? He said, if you want to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. So if you'd rather be sitting there listening to, to some music that you like and reading some novel, you know, you're not going to get into trouble. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying... If you want to live godly and you're always carrying your Bible around and you're quick to mention Jesus, you're going to get a little pushback. That's just a given. And if you're expecting it to be forewarned, as I've been saying almost every Sunday, is to be uh, forearmed, you're ready for it, you know. <clears throat> so that when someone in your immediate family gets their nose bent out of joint about Jesus, and your love for him. And they no longer want anything to do with you, your own family. Not only that, they become hostile, almost like an enemy. Then you're like, what is this happening? This is crazy. And then you go, shh, shh, shh. Matthew chapter 10, you go down and you read Jesus' words. Heads up, I didn't come to bring peace. Everybody join hands around the table. That's not what's going to happen. Please expect that. It's more like a sword because the gospel's going to come and three of you are going to go this way and two of you are going to come with me. And you're going to have tension. And then he says this, and this comforts your heart. He says, a man's worst enemies will be in his own family. Quote, son of God. So then if you can find chapter and verse for your suffering, then the comfort, the peace, you go, aha, this isn't some strange thing happening. How could my own kid, I raised them in the faith to love God. And now they hate him and us. How could this, what, what did we do wrong? Why the, the foreign thing, this is strange. And then you turn to Matthew. Chapter 10, verse 36, boom. And you're like, still grieved. But you're settled. You're not tempted to say, oh, what I meant to say. Oh, God loves everybody the same. And you come as you are. He doesn't care about repentance or her holiness. 
See, the reason you do that is to protect your own self and to make things a little easier. And so um, a lot of people are selling out. The third idea that's in this iceberg uh, of a passage is he calls the pushback that we receive a trial to you. In fact, it's a phrase that says these hardships that that God who loves you has allowed is, is for your testing. So that trial word. Remember I told you when I first came to faith, I was in a church and everyone was talking about their trials. And I was so confused because trials is really a Christian word for trouble. And so I had never heard it before. So I'm like, what, are you guys all going to court or what? Remember I said that. I mean, I I didn't understand. But so they explained to me, well, trial means something's on trial. What's on trial? Your, Your claim that you're a Christian. And so when hardship comes because you're a Christian, then we find out whether how genuine or the quality of your Christian faith is. But you know what? You can talk all day long, and and for the most part, we will believe you, but nobody knows for sure until you're aggressed and there's something to lose and some big-time pain associated with being the thing you claim to be. So when you're tested, you either fall away or you stand and keep doing the very thing that's causing suffering to come your way. And in this idea, uh, you're tested. So you see... So Jesus looked around and he said one day, you guys, some, some Christians remind me of an illustration. And so he told a parable, which just means a story of the spiritual truth, about uh, four different kinds of soils in the garden of your heart. And he gets to them and he says, some believers, so-called believers, he said, they remind me of this plant that, you know, the gospel's like seed and they spring up right away. So they hear the gospel at a church service like this and then the pastor says, anybody here want to give their life to the Lord? And they shoot up the hand and they come forward later and they talk to me and they say with tears, this is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me and I'm going to serve the Lord all the days of my life and all of this, right? Jesus has got this idea. It springs up really fast. And then you don't see that person for a while and you run into them at Costco. And I don't know if you go to Costco much, but I run into everybody there. (laughs) And especially when they don't want to meet the pastor. So don't go to... Don't go to Costco or Trader Joe's if you're trying to avoid me. Cause I'm gonna... So I run into them. Well, hey, aren't you the guy with the, oh, I'm going to serve God. Aren't you him? Oh, yeah I, haven't... yeah, I haven't seen you ever. Well, you know, and here it is. To be brutally honest and sorry to have to put it this way, this is what he said. I had no idea that you couldn't have sex before you're married. I had no idea. To which I said, that's a really bad trade. That's a really bad trade because you're saying what's more important to you than your eternal soul in God Almighty is this thing you're not willing to give up or do it God's way. Just do it God's way. So he's not willing to do that. And then the Lord said, so it springs up right away. And then it finds out, oh, this is going to cost me something. And then the sun, in Jesus' words, the sun comes out. And since I'm quoting the Lord now, since they don't have deep roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So in this regard, when you're being tested, uh, when the troubles are there, you're being tested to see, first of all, is it legit? Lots of people say they're believers and they're going to heaven, but, but the trouble will tell you who's who. And in another way, 
the, the testing is like turning up the heat and testing the quality of your faith and for the, for the purpose in God's thinking of refining you. So we've already heard him talk about turning up the heat to test gold. And when you do that, first of all, you find out the gold is real. And then the impurities in the gold called dross, it's called smelting, are removed, you see? So I'll tell you what, when you're aggressed and hurt deeply, then you find out some of the dross that is within you that you can confess, you can see, and turn from. You see, I never knew how strongly I could hate someone until I was persecuted. I never knew the rage. I had no idea. Or, or how I could write somebody off so much so, just, just write them off with hate until I was wounded deeply, right? So then in the moment when the suffering is testing and showing you and you're like, and you catch yourself, the Holy Spirit goes, well, look at that. And uh, oh, Lord, oh, man, I'm sorry. I, I bring that thing to you and I'll start praying for that person. Put, Lord, I repent of that. And you see, it's a refining too. So, uh, so it makes suffering kind of worthwhile when you're not when you're thinking, okay, this is terrible, but it's got some beneficial thing, something redemptive about it. You're not just suffering for the sake of suffering. That God's like, okay, I allowed this because I love you and I'm working. I'm working in so many ways you can never know right now, but trust me in this. Now, irony of irony, that brings a sense of joy, which is the fourth thing that we're talking about in our iceberg. Uh, I don't know why I keep going back to that, but it is kind of a very deep uh, passage. Uh, A sense of joy in the midst of grief. And that's an irony, isn't it? Uh, Rejoice that you participate. Why? In the sufferings of Christ. And, And you can be overjoyed now. You're rejoicing which will culminate when we see him. So, come on, that's crazy. How, I mean, first of all, he's, the Bible doesn't say, you re- sing for joy because you're in pain. No. We cry, we weep. We despair sometimes. We have human feelings, right? But he's saying there's a joy that you can have in the midst of being miserable, you see? Um, and it's not foreign to us, right? How about a woman who is having a baby? Now, I've been in the room all three times, and there's a strange mix of anguish and joy. (laughs) It's all mixed up in there. So one second, there's some aggressive language being used, just like, well, you know, it's like, whoa, this is terrible and awful. And, And then there's the glow. We're having a baby. You see? So there's the mix. So it's possible. Chemotherapy, I cannot tell you. When it made me so nauseous 21 years ago, and I survived, uh, just so you know. I never finished the story, you know? So 21 years later. uh, But I remember, sorry, being violently ill and so happy, so happy. Inwardly, I'm like, yes, get it, get it, God, get it destroy that cancer. And with every wave of misery came a wave of hope and optimism and joy. Right. And uh, yeah, how about cycling to Mexico? Yeah, pedaling, not doing this. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Because what? I mean, what is that? You know, come on. <laughs> it must be nice, you know, going up Big Sur. Oh, you know. No, I'm talking about the man's way. (laughs) I love all of you, whoever you are. And I will find out who you are afterwards, sadly. But when you're a big, going up big, sir, on a bicycle, you think to yourself, dear Lord, what have I done? (laughs) 
you're like, the anguish, I cannot tell you. You're just like, you know, you're picturing the headline, Pastor dies in Big Sur, thinking he could ride his bike to Mexico, you know. But I'll tell you what, in the midst of some great disillusionment and some real agony, uh, there's a sense of joy and accomplishment. Uh, It just, it's a wonderful thing. So all that to say, it's not impossible for you when you are reeling in pain to feel some sense of joy. Why? Number one, he says, you're sharing in the sufferings of the Son of God. You are in some pretty fancy company, sir. Wow. Like you're just like the Bible heroes, God's own son, and me in the same list? Come on. Get out. How did I get so worthy? How did I get so lucky, in air quotes there, or blessed to be considered worthy? Listen to this. Acts chapter 5. I might have it on the screen for you. Verse 40. The council calls in the apostles and have them flogged. It's the shirt, the robe comes down right there and then, and they bring in the bamboo. And that's the kind of flogging the Jews would do, and 39 times on the back. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted, rejoicing in that pain and shame and humiliation, counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They're like, how did we, we're just fishermen, minding our own business, living our ordinary lives, and we get sucked into the Bible story with the Son of God, the angels, and all the prophets of old. How did we become so worthy as to suffer for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the idea here. And the last thing we ever think of when we're getting smacked around at work or in our families or however the abuse that you find it, you see. So what, 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 he's, what they're saying and what Peter's saying is when you suffer for Christ, it officially links you to him and his sufferings, you see. And so you're in pretty good uh, company uh, there and so our, our our present rejoicing is headed uh, to when His glory is revealed. Verse thirteen b there, He's talking once again about the second coming. The shout out there. Scholars have ident- identified one thousand eight hundred and forty five different biblical references to the second coming. Do you know that one in every twenty five verses in the New Testament is a reference to his appearing and the glory that will come when the Son of God lights up the sky. Jesus' words, like lightning, lights up the sky from east all the way to west. In fact, the references to the second coming outnumber Jesus' first coming eight to one. As poet Uh, Yates wrote that I love so much that he described it this way, that one far off divine event toward which all creation moves. And that event is going to be glorious. And he points that out. And the word for glory there, it's hard to imagine, but it's this brilliance, this uh, splendor, this radiant glory, this majesty It's kind of a bling that no human being has ever seen nor could imagine. On that horrible night, Jesus was betrayed. He was before the council in the middle of the night. And the high priest said, I charge you under oath before God. Tell us right here and now, are you the son of the blessed one? Are you the Messiah, Savior of the world? And Jesus responded under oath. It is as you say, and there's coming a day that you will see the Son of Man of himself in third person coming in the clouds with great glory and power, the glory and power that belongs to the Most High God, he says, and every eye shall see, as Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, every eye shall see that moment those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. 
will see. Even those who did the deed. It says even those who pierced him. Great honor and great glory. And in that moment, all the shame, the humiliation, the hardship, the tears will all be worth it. In that moment, he says, you, you have joy now, but that's nothing. Look at the verse. It will be so one to ten, the joy, when, when the outshining of the Son of God fills the universe. Ta-da! The trumpets go off, and there he is. The one who created all things is standing there, shining. And you're shining, too, because you and him belong together. You're a team. And you guys took a beating together. He took a beating, you took a beating. And then he's in glory, and now you're in glory. And in that moment, you're going to be so thankful for every little thing that you endured. Uh, It will be all worth it. You know, verse 14 is amazing and moving. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. What is he saying there? It's an odd phrase because usually the Holy Spirit is said to be in us, not resting upon us. So scholars say Peter's pointing to something, to Jesus' baptism, where the spirit and glory came down and rested on him. So Peter is saying that when you are insulted, because of Jesus and your faith, that the same spirit and glory that's rested on Jesus, and what did we hear when it rested on Jesus? A voice from heaven, the Father saying, this is my son. In him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love, you see. That was the point. And when you identify with his son, through being persecuted for his son's sake, the same spirit that rested on Jesus now rests on you with God the Father saying, this child belongs to me and I love them and uh, they are well-pleasing to me in regard to suffering as Christ suffered the same voice, the same commendation. That's a beautiful thing. So we finished up now. That's the proper attitude. And now a little of the motivation. And as I said, it's done a lot of elaboration on this paragraph, but it's very uh, motivational. Now, if you suffer, now here's what he's saying. Not all suffering is created equal. Because a lot of Christians don't suffer in the name of Jesus. They suffer in the name of their foolishness, as I would know and as you would know. So he's saying, don't get me wrong, not all suffering is God's will, and that you will bring on some of your own suffering. And though you may be able to ask God to comfort you in non-ordained suffering, shall we call it, or... uh, suffering that you caused yourself, God will still comfort you and be with you. But he's saying, like, don't put yourself through it. Some of your suffering is your own doing. So he says, you wouldn't suffer as a murderer, thief, or any kind of criminal. So what's that? why is he telling Christians this? Because they may be tempted to stoop to the level. Uh, so one of their brothers got killed. So they want to kill. You see? Or, uh, you know, they want to break the law now because they're so upset, you know, and all of this. And the meddler part is saying, look, if you've got the evangelism thing all wrong, you're sharing the gospel in an obnoxious way, judgmental, and you're in people's faces, faces and you're saying, you need to repent and you're a sinner. And, you know, you're all riled up because it's, you know, persecution. He says, that's not you're suffering because you're being obnoxious. You think you're suffering because you're, you know, but you're in your neighbor's life and you're in everybody's life about Jesus. And he says, you're suffering because you're a meddler, a busybody, and you're going about it all the wrong. No, no points for suffering for being obnoxious or socially awkward or not able to read social cues. Uh, so that's what he's saying there. But praise God that if you suffer as a Christian, so right there, he's owning the name that was put on us 
as a pejorative and insulting way uh, title. So it, all we did was talk about Christ, 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 and act like Christ, and, and so they called us the Christ people. You Christ person. You're the Christ person. So we're like, yeah, we are. So we took it, right? So he says, if you, you suffer for being a Christian, you don't need to be ashamed, and that's the thing. Ever since we were little, the, the, one of the most primeval, <laughs> kind of primitive, I should say, just kind of primal things is a desire not to be the odd guy out at, at recess time with people pointing and, and laughing. You, you want to blend in. You don't even want to bring the wrong kind of lunchbox, you know, because that would be the end of the world, you know. <clears throat> the devil knows this about us. So he wants to shame you to stand down, you see. So he says, listen, being, how, how can, there's no need to be ashamed because what is shameful about being associated with the God of the universe, the holy words of, of the Lord, the Bible heroes, truth, goodness, virtue, and all at a cost to you. That, sir, is living an honorable life. And at the end of all things, there will be applause. We're from heaven for a life that was lived not for yourself and not for your own sins and not for your selfish ambitions, but for God. And it cost you something. That is honorable. So he's saying, you're not the ones to feel ashamed. You wear that name proudly in a godly kind of way, you see. Uh, you bear that name and bear that name well. For it is time now, the last little thing he says, it's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Now he's going to use an argument. If, if it's hard for us and God's tough on us, what's going to happen to those who have made themselves his enemy? Because we're bought by his blood, and we're his children. And look at our lives, how hard things can be. So the first thing he's talking about is judgment. Now, the word judgment doesn't need to be uh, condemnation. It just simply means to evaluate. There are two ways to understand it. So the Lord, judgment has started, and God has begun to sort out humanity. And he started with us. And even today, the judgment, God, the judgment of God exists in Christians' lives in the form of evaluating and disciplining us. That is judgment. No need of fear, no need of condemnation. There is the, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus paid for all of our sins. We never need to fear the judgment of God. However, the word is used when the Lord disciplines his children. So when he finds something that we're doing that's not helpful or Christ-like, he judges us with discipline. And so uh, the Bible says about discipline, my son, don't lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son he receives and daughter. And uh, so that's what's going on there with the judgment that we all experience and that God is doing right now. So his point is, what, if God is, is judging us even though we've been bought and paid for and that all of our actions are scrutinized by God every single thing you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ for reward or lack thereof that's all but every little thing you did as a Christian gets the scrutiny of God in judgment so Peter's point is if that's how God is with us oh my word with no advocate no blood of Jesus just straight up, let's go for every little thought you've ever thought, every spoken word, every deed. He says, oh my, 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 you're going to be glad you took the straight and narrow path on that day. You're going to be super glad. And then he says, shout out to Proverbs 11, if, if it's hard for us 
to be saved. What's going to happen to them? What does that mean? It doesn't mean we're working our way and it's so super hard. He's saying the hardship that comes about, A, that purchased us with the, with the Son of God's own blood, that was an ordeal. And look at the hardship in our own lives, suffering persecution, dying to ourselves daily, the cost of discipleship, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow the Lord the tug of war on the inside, the crucifying of our sinful nature and all of the stuff in the world and how our lives are perpetually up and down. So he's saying, if the Christian experience is hard, what is going to happen to those who are the opponents of God without a savior. This, the idea is to make you super glad and accepting of your lot in life, no matter how it is. It's not going to be like those who are unbelievers. And then he says, okay, here's the moral of the story. He says, if you're suffering, whenever you're suffering, you commit yourself to God Commit yourself to God. The word there Jesus used on the cross as he was dying. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So the word is an accounting term. It's a financial word. It means to entrust somebody with a a sacred vow kind of thing. And that person has an oath to God to return your deposit to you safely as you deposit it. It's, it's safeguarded, you see. So the point here is if you safeguard your soul to God, you got nothing to worry about, you see. And it doesn't matter if you're bouncing all over the place. Put your soul in God's hands and trust him, uh, you see, as you suffer for God's will, Commit yourself to the faithful creator. A shout out to, look, nothing's too hard for him. And he who made the planets can uh, take care of you as well. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your wonderful love, your goodness. We pray that you bless our understanding so that we can apply these truths Lord, so many applications as we walk through this. Lord, help us to, in the moment when it matters, to uh, apply these truths so that we could be more effective and productive for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.